You're listening to Learning Now Radio, bringing you the best news, views, and interviews from the team that brings you Learning Now TV. This is Learning Now Radio. Hello, I'm Colin Steed, and I'm delighted to welcome you to Learning Now Radio. Learning Now Radio is Learning Now TV's bi monthly podcast for all learning and performance professionals. This is Learning Now Radio with Colin Steed and Lisa Minogue White. Today, I'm pleased to welcome someone who's gained a lot of followers and admirers for a no nonsense practical advice on modern day learning practices. Lisa recently interviewed us, so over to you, Lisa. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Michelle Parry Slater. She's L&D Director at Kairos Modern Learning. And one of the reasons why I felt that it was very important to get Michelle onto Learning Now Radio is that her passion is for providing pragmatic, practical advice for learning and development. We've had some fantastic interviews here on Learning Now Radio, and lots have been talking about what the future of learning looks like, the kind of dynamics and the shape of it, models that you can use, how to get organisational buy-in. But I think Think there's a real hunger out there for some practical down-to-earth advice about how we accelerate performance and what the future of learning in organizations looks like. So I'm really excited to have Michelle here to talk to me today. So thanks for joining us, Michelle. Thank you for having me on. Um, so Michelle, I'm going to start with one of the first things that people will know of you from your move from an organisational role into a consultancy role, and that was your No Plasters campaign. Now, I know that you will be speaking to Kim about this on Learning Now TV for our um, watchers there, but I'd like to delve a little bit deeper. What was the real driving force behind No Plasters for you? Why did you feel it was so very important? Okay, um I did enjoy speaking to uh, to Kim about it. And I'm really happy to have the opportunity to to look a little bit more closely as to what was forcing me, if you like, to think we need to do something practically to help. Now, I came out of um, global mobility, a very neat area of HR, where we would be helping people relocate from one place to another. And um, sort of having a teaching background before that, I ended up being the person who was uh, always starting with all the new starters, you know, go and sit with Michelle, she'll help you out, she'll tell you what to do, she'll show you how to, uh, how to be a mobility consultant. So I always had that sort of practical element to my background. Um, and then as a consequence of that, um, that, that role grew and grew and grew, and then I found myself as, as head of L&D. Now, I always had that kind of um, imposter syndrome, I guess, and in, <laughs> in that I, I'm a mobility specialist. I'm not in L&D. So I always had to drive myself to understand how to do this job and how to do this job well and where did I find my support network. A lot of that support network, I have to say, I found on Twitter, which has been, uh, you know, building up a personal learning network has been really useful for me there. But I always found on Twitter, it was a lot about, um, you know, what we should be doing in the industry, what what learning and development should be um, heading towards, what direction we should be taking. And similarly, I'd go to a lot of conferences and I'd feel the same. It was always about, you know, we shouldn't be doing it this way. We should be doing that way. But no one talked about how do we actually do it? What does that actually look like, you know, in your real job, in your L&D director role, L&D manager, L&D specialist role? 
what is it that you should actually be doing? What does your day look like? So because I'd come from this sort of uh, imposter syndrome background and I'd learned the hard way, I felt very driven towards helping people to think about what, what does it actually look like? Now, in my previous corporate, um, I had no budget. Every penny that I spent, I had to put a business case together for. So suddenly you get very good at writing business cases. And similarly, um, you know, other elements, when you've got very little to spend, you, you tend to just, you know, try and do. So I, I started making videos myself, never done any of that before, started filming my colleagues so that we could create assets within the organization, never done any of that before. So a lot of my work um, as a consultant has driven out of me actually practically doing the job. So I wanted to share that. I wanted to share that, you know, you don't need big budgets. The perception is that corporates will have massive money to spend, where the reality is actually let's spend less and less, but do more and more. So this was all driving me towards helping um, do something. I didn't know what something looked like. But in um, December 2014, as we sort of headed towards Christmas, I felt really, really pushed um, to having come off of a, a year's worth of conferences and blogging from conferences and attending conferences, felt really pushed towards the how, uh, you know, how do we do this stuff? And I wanted to make 2015 what I called the year of the how to do. Um, so that's where sort of No Plasters was born from. What was what was I able to do? Just little old me, one man band. Um, so I tweeted every day, um, just with 140 characters worth of practical tips that people could dry, try. People who were in post, who had little to spend or maybe had something to spend but didn't have perhaps any idea of how they could move away from transactional learning styles that we were taught as trainers years ago. And, um, you know, when I did my train the trainer, it was all about learning styles. It was all about um, booking sales courses when the sales manager came and told you they needed one. But time Time had totally moved on and I was I was just conscious that perhaps people didn't know how to move on with it. So that's that's really how, where it came from and how it was born. So from those no plasters tweets, and I know that I think anybody that's followed the campaign, it really has got an incredible following. Uh, you know, there's some really passionate people um, as part of that learning network that I think probably massively overlaps with the two of us, actually, Michelle. Yes. But you obviously were the instigator. You're seeing what, what the kind of um, take up is. What were some of the pieces of practical advice that you gave out were the ones that seemed to really resonate with the audience? They were always things that were very simple to do. Um, so anything that um, was a practical suggestion that was easy to implement quickly, because the challenge is for a lot of people, if they suddenly went and changed their entire practice, if they stopped booking sales courses for the sales manager's team, there would be a lot of repercussions in the business. So they needed to do something that was easy. They needed to do something that wouldn't be radical um, so that they could start to build up. Um, a different approach with people. So, for example, if I was to suggest, you know, stop doing happy sheets, that would never have flown with anybody because that's how people are counting. That's how people are evaluating. But if I was to suggest something like do happy sheets plus do it again three weeks later, six weeks later or whatever, that's the sort of practical idea that people could implement while still doing their transactional role. I hope that makes sense. No, it does. Um, and sort of springboarding from that then, what were the surprise impacts, I suppose? What were the things that seemed to create more buzz than perhaps you were expecting? 
Well, I'll be honest, when I started it, all I really wanted to reach was one person. If I could help one person, then that would be my sort of my evaluation, if you like. And I knew within the first few months be- because of people retweeting and commenting that I'd, I'd managed to do that. So I was never setting myself out to be sort of a game or, or anything huge in this. It was literally just a small way of supporting practical people. But some things did gather um, quite a bit of, of noise, if you like. And I guess some of those were around introducing new tools, things that were free that people hadn't necessarily heard of before, um, things that were easy for people to access. So maybe introducing video scribe or thinking about having a private Google Plus community within an organization or maybe using um, Yammer to start um, a learning circle of some description. Other tiny things like lunch and learn. Now, if we're in learning, it kind of seems obvious, but let's remember this was designed to reach people that maybe hadn't thought about the opportunity of using their own internal experts before and how they could actually do that. So flipping that on its head then, Michelle, obviously No mm-hmm. Plasters was about, you know, pra- here's some practical advice, well, not just some practical advice, an awful lot, because obviously you targeted yourself to put out a piece of advice um, every working day of 2015. But if you were speaking to somebody in a, an L&D role now, what would you tell them they need to stop doing in order to start to transform their role? They need to stop saying yes and start asking why. So if, you know, I keep keep going back to the sales guy, they seem to have the money. That's why they seem to be booking yeah. the courses. <laughs> but, well, they're very uh, persuasive, know, aren't they? I mean, they are in they sales are. after all. That's what they're supposed to do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So when they come and say, you know, Bob needs a sales course, instead of saying, yeah, sure, I'll book one, it's, you know, asking, well, what is it that's that's pushing you to that decision? Why, why do you think he needs one? Because obviously, you know, he's probably been on one already. What didn't he get the first time? And so a lot of the No Plasters tweets were around what to do in those sorts of circumstances. So... You know, in in comes Bob's manager and and Bob's expecting to go on yet another course. But when we actually ask why and we delve a little bit deeper and we start to move from transactional into consultative, what we suddenly find is it's just one niche area that he's struggling with. So it may be that he can't close a deal or he's particularly poor if he's got to give a presentation to senior people. So then we realize he doesn't need a sales course. He doesn't need to know how to sell. He needs to know how to present or he needs to know how to close. And those things he perhaps could learn within his own organization, following around people who are really good closers, following around people who are giving great presentations, not even great sales presentations, but any presentations, so that he can get tips from them on how to talk about their organization. That might be where he's failing. But often what we tend to find is that we are targeted in learning and development on how many days training are we booking? You know, are we using the budget that we're supposed to be using? Is everyone getting their allocated four days? Now, when we're counting the wrong things, as in four days a a year training, and not actually asking what are we doing the training for, we're totally missing the point, in my my opinion, of getting the best out of, uh, of the spend, the best out of the people as well. Well, that leads very nicely onto, I know, the work that you've been very closely involved with, Michelle, over the past uh, 12 months or so. He's working with the CIPD and looking at future skills. And there's, just want to pick up on some of the things that you were talking about there in terms of the way that learning and development are targeted, the kind of frameworks and methods that people working in L&D have been brought up with, as it were. 
What's been your role then? What are the, the things or the messages that you are trying to ensure that are part of future skills development for learning and development that is different from what's gone before? The biggest thing uh, is certainly around moving towards consultative and moving away from just that transactional sort of rubber stamping stuff. Um, And I have to say, this has all been led by Andy Lancaster. I've got a lot of admiration for Andy. And essentially, it's because he displays the one skill that we need to have in L&D, which is being a great listener. Andy, when he first started at CIPD, spent a lot of time listening to whoever would talk to him and, and seeking out people. So I first met him, although I knew him from Twitter. I'd never actually met him face to face. And the reason I met him is because I'd been through a CIPD experience and I didn't particularly rate it. And so I contacted him and I love to talk to you about how I think this could be done better and as a consequence of that um, he knew that I was a person that was sort of questioning a lot and also coming up with practical suggestions so the fact that he listened to me I I was nobody to him you know I was just some some girl off Twitter who who had set up this little tiny company and that's what Andy's about he really is keen to hear from everybody and make the whole of learning and development a better place and OD as well let's add that in too because he's got a a lot of respect in that regard as well so um, having been invited in to, uh, to to shake things up with him and Georgia Gamba who works for him too we really looked at Um, what the future skills needed to be and what were we doing that we felt were not representing ourselves well and of course what we set up to do was a new brand new course um, and very respectfully not standing on the toes of any of their current CIPD course suppliers and we set up a 100% digital qualification. I mean personally I think both Georgia, Andy and myself think that that Is that the way forward for everything? Probably not. And we need a blend of face-to-face as well as digital. But what we've come up with um, is a really good hybrid in that we do quite a lot of live classes. So I run some of those for them and they're really, really great way to substitute, if you like, the face-to-face using um, what I think is the best platform, Adobe Connect, because you can have really great conversation in the chat there um, as well as face-to-face. So we've got this kind of 100% digital, but it really was about what is it that we need people to experience in the course and the one thing I really like that we've tried to uh, to factor in is that actually going through the course even if you kind of learn nothing if you like the act of going through the course will teach you a future future skill set for L&D so like I say we use Adobe Connect so people are exposed to um, to a software system that perhaps they haven't used before. They're, they're in live classes, which is not something that's often used within a corporate workspace. So again, they're experiencing how they might be able to do that themselves. There's also a forum work and a lot of breakouts within the live classes. So they get used to using these tools um, that they haven't used in their own workplace. We encourage them to make videos, for example, um, as all as part, as part of the course. And I think, as I say, even if you kind of... Even if you don't do the assignments, even if you don't concentrate very hard, just the act of going through that course will help you to become um, a future skilled learning and development professional. I kind of hope that makes sense. No, it it does. And I think, like you said, there's there's the comfort in it's a, it's a difficult one actually to quantify because I was at the BET show which was a week before oh, yes. I've spoken and it's very interesting looking at the approach there between obviously it's a it's an education technology show but yeah. there is no delineation between education and technology this is just this is the 
time, the age in which our children are receiving their education. So this is just part of what life is. And it's a very interesting, I think, reflection for people working in organisations, because I still think there, there at times is this separation between yes. learning and learning technology. And it's Absolutely. total anathema that is just yes. entirely irrelevant yeah. today. Yeah, I, I get really a little bit irate when I hear, oh, you know, it's a Gen Y thing. No, it oh, isn't. It absolutely isn't. You know, nobody goes through their private lives these days without technology, even if all they have is a telephone with an answering machine or a TV that gets the Internet. You know, everybody is exposed to this stuff. If you're trying to buy a train ticket, if you're trying to book a holiday, even if you're just going to buy something from a shop, these days it's very normal that in the shop you would buy it using technology if they don't have it in stock, for example. So um, it is all around us and it really is about myth busting and fear busting. Absolutely. Um, and, and a lot of the work I do is marrying what people are doing in their private lives into the workspace because I think for the first time ever, workspace is behind what we have and what we do and what is natural to us in our work, in our home life, I'm sorry. Whereas you think about computers when they first came out, they filled a room in an office and then sort of eventually we end up with them in our, in our homes. This time it's the reverse. We started with smartphones and we're taking that technology into the workplace. And where L&D, where HR, where CEOs are slow to pick up, that's where they're holding their organization back from getting the best out of social learning and digital learning that's available today. Well, it's a good point there it, in terms of saying, you know, it's holding the organization back and holding their opportunity to perform at their optimal level and to be able to compete in whatever market they're in. That's the other thing that I wanted to touch um, on with you today, Michelle, is that as well as obviously some of the practical skills, how do learning and development express what it is that they bring to an organization? Because as you will well know um, from your roles, it can be difficult to find a straight A to B line between something that learning are supporting and facilitating to that business outcome. Now, I must admit, I mm. get a little bit irate when people say, yeah, no, it's almost impossible to do that. It isn't. Oh, it isn't. It isn't. No. But let's, no. that, that could be another episode for us because it absolutely <laughs> isn't. You can prove that. But what do L&D need to be doing then to make sure that they are not marginalised, that they aren't the shrinking team in the corner of the office, that they are absolutely at the heart of performance in organisations? I think absolutely, without doubt, it's be close to the business. So for me, it happened by accident because I came out of the business. So everyone knew my skill set in terms of how to, how to relocate somebody, understanding what that looked like. So when I start training people how to do that, that is the reason why I started training people how to do because I had that already. So I understand the challenges about, for example, in global mobility, you never trained in the summer because everyone wanted to move in the summer. So I would never make a suggestion that we would run a program during the summer. I couldn't have known that if I wasn't close to the business. So what I see a distance and a, and a disconnect is where people are sitting within HR, for example, and maybe HR have BPs, but but L&D don't have BPs, you know, and so there's, they're not close enough to understand what the challenges are and they're not invited, if you like, to 
having conversations until it's too late. What often will happen, there'll be a new product launch and L&D get invited at the end. Oh, we've got this new product launch. Everyone needs to learn about it. That's too late. They needed to be invited in the inception so that you could start, for example, making a video around what that product development was about. So you can show that as an asset to everybody. So everyone understands where it's come from, why we're doing it, what it's for, how we're going to sell it, how we're going to market it. All of that stuff, all of that conversation is taking place way prior to the actual learning piece, which tends to happen towards the end of that product development. So definitely get close to your business. And if that's if that's difficult because of the politics of your organization, then start having informal lunches. You know, why don't you go and ask people, should we, should we you know, go, go and grab a sandwich? I know for a sandwich, you're just having a chat with a friend. You're not having a business conversation. You can pull out, you know, themes. What's challenging you? What's your pain? Where's your struggle? You know, and then you can start to think about what L&D could support people with well i think that's a fantastic way to end the uh conversation michelle get involved don't be the wallflower yes indeed (laughs) fantastic well michelle perry slater thank you so much for joining us on learning now radio you're welcome thank you very much for having me it's been fun learning now radio all the best news reviews and interviews well that's it for this episode we hope you enjoyed it and found the items useful for your work. Remember, if you have some suggestions of people you'd like us to interview, then please contact me at colin at learningnow.tv. Alternatively, if you fancy being interviewed by Lisa, then please contact me at the same address. So please remember to subscribe to the channel on iTunes, and we look forward to you joining us in two weeks' time.